Val DiGiorgio was born and raised in South Philly and has been involved in Republican politics since he was 17 years old. Today, he's the chairman of the Republican Party of Pennsylvania and will be in the epicenter of politics for the 2020 presidential election. I recently sat down with him. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome to Brews and Views. I'm Matt Briette, president of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. I am in Chester County with Val DiGiorgio, who is the chairman of the Pennsylvania Republican Party. Val, uh, thanks for joining me on Brews and Views. Thanks for having me, although I don't have a brew here. Yeah, but. I know. This is what, sometimes we just fail. Uh, <laughs> and this is a fail. We don't have coffee. We don't have beer. We've but, got water. Uh, we've got views. Mm -hmm. uh, and we want to get into some of that. Yeah. Uh, but before we get into uh, some of the things you're working on as the chairman of the Republican Party, um, I want to get to how you even became a Republican. Yeah. Uh, but uh, where'd you grow up, Val? So I grew up in South Philadelphia, mm -hmm. uh, blue-collar, working-class neighborhood. Um, conservative, but Democrat. Okay. And uh, took an interest in politics early on. Politics was all over the neighborhood. Frank Rizzo would come into the neighborhood, and you know, within minutes, the neighborhood would come out into the streets, and he'd have a mob scene around him. So that was always uh, – Frank Rizzo was an inspiration. Even if back then his politics were a little liberal, um, he became a conservative later on, supported George W. Uh, George H. W. Bush. Frank Rizzo was an early, uh, um, an early influence on us, uh, those of us who were interested in politics in South Philly. Um, and also just, you know, I, I watched the neighborhood, and my father was always interested in politics. We would talk government a lot. And it, the neighborhood kept getting worse and worse. You know, schools got worse. Crime mm -hmm. would get worse. Taxes would go higher. And, and I hear my father complain about the taxes. And I said, why do we keep voting for the same people over and over again? I didn't know much <laughs> about Democrat and Republican, but why do we keep voting for these guys? Mm -hmm. A lot of them went to jail. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a couple councilmen. State senator, another state senator years later, who we all all know not mm -hmm. too long ago, um, a congressman, uh, Ozzie Myers in the app scam. Um, and uh, it just never made sense to me why we keep putting the same machine back in power every year. Here a kid gets this, right? Right. All right. I remember saying <laughs> it to my father at about 13 years old, which was just about the time I met Ronald Reagan. Uh, he came to the Italian market. That was the big stop back then, Giordano's and Ninth of Washington. And uh, Ronald Reagan was there. My mother took me that day. We were home for lunch from school, went to St. Paul's Catholic School in the Italian market. And uh, I remember him there with that. I remember he used to wear that tan blazer with the brown tie. Uh -huh. I remember that stands out in my mind. <laughs> I was I was hooked. Uh, I was a Reaganite uh, ever since. But your parent, you're, you're registered Democrats, uh, but uh, voting conservative or how, you know. How? My, you would register how the local committee man who would take care of your tickets and okay. whatever else you needed. Okay. Uh, you would register. But they, uh, by the time I became a teenager, my parents were Republican. Okay. Uh, not very, they weren't politically active, but uh -huh. our neighbor became a Republican. He switched the Republican Party. We all switched with him, our committee man. And that's how I learned about the committee structure. And I'd say my greatest influence in politics, the reason I'm still in it today, the reason I have a, a view that's different from a lot in the Republican Party, um, I'll talk about that in a little bit, um, is Jack Kemp. And mm. Jack Kemp was mm -hmm. uh, you bet. You know, that pro-growth, pro-opportunity, but, but we have to have a message for inner city America. And that inspired a lot of us. Um, and um, you know, still today, I believe we have to have a message for it. I, I, I had a Kemp for president uh, yeah. T-shirt. I, yeah. I, I was a big fan of his. Uh, still am, because I think that uh, some of his messaging absolutely is uh, precisely what we need to be addressing today. Right. Uh, right. So, so uh, other uh, brothers, sisters uh, growing up politically active, or are you the one that, that, that got yeah, the I, bug? I blazed that trail. That's okay. right. Yeah, no one else was really politically active. My family tends to be center-right to conservative, you know. Um, um, 
but uh, yeah, no one else got involved. So where did you first uh, start uh, on campaigns, or what? What? Uh, where? How did you get involved in electoral so, politics? So, so I got sort of got the bug. I got involved with my committee man. I joined the Young Republicans in Philadelphia, and it was actually it was a very active group back then in the eighties, and. Um, and somebody said, I want to get involved in John Hines' campaign, another one I found inspirational back mm -hmm. then. Uh, rest in peace, Senator Hines. And he, uh, someone told me to call Guy Chiraki, who became a lifelong friend of mine. Guy was on Hines' staff, campaign staff. And Guy actually steered me more toward the local stuff. He wanted to make an impact and involved locally. He ran for state rep. Jim Cauley, the lieutenant governor, now lieutenant, you know, former lieutenant governor. Man, Jim Cauley and I were involved in working on Guy's campaign. We ran against the machine in South Philadelphia. We came within a hair of beating the machine. But Bill Clinton that year won with like 65 percent of the vote in that district. And totally, mm -hmm. that, that's what beat Guy that year. Mm -hmm. also, otherwise, we would have had uh, a bigger foothold for the Republican Party in South Philly back then. Well, and Guy's somebody I, I'm going to have to have on here, yes. obviously. He's now the president of the uh, Chester County Chamber, Chamber of, right. of Commerce. and But he served as chief of staff to Jim Cauley. Mm -hmm. uh, he certainly had that. So we'll have him on. Yeah. Uh, somebody so, once said to me, I was driving back and forth to Harrisburg. Uh, you went to Harrisburg every day with Guy Chiraki, you should get a master's degree. So <laughs> your, your listeners will understand that when they talk to him. So sort of the Brat Pack, I guess, if yes. you will, of uh, Jim Cawley, Cawley, Guy Chiraki. Yeah, uh, good friend Mel Chad, Chad yes. Saylor, who's yep. a Dolphin County guy, yeah. You bet. So uh, all right, so so you get involved uh, kind of local politics. And um, so here you sit today as mm -hmm. the chairman, um, something uh, uh, that uh, you're really enjoying uh, right now, huh? Yeah, sometimes more than others. <laughs> I was at Republican National Committee uh, last week, and um, uh, that's always good. It gives you a, sort of a, a wind behind your back when you go there. But I was asked, what's the biggest challenge for you as chairman in Pennsylvania right mm -hmm. now? It's funny, I got that asked by three other chairmen. I guess they were just seeing what's going around the country. And I, and I said, the biggest challenge that I face every day is the infighting within the Republican Party. Hmm. So right mm -hmm. now in Pennsylvania in particular, you know, you've got, you know, people who figure, you know, they're Trumpers, but everybody else who wasn't on board as early as they were are anti-Trumpers. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily true, mm -hmm. but you have that tension. You've got establishment versus non-establishment, um, sort of people who are, and some of those are Trumpers, some of them aren't. And the non-establishment folks, they're fighting against the, the establishment. And you've got the geographical tension between the East, the Southeast, and the rest of the state. Mm -hmm. And uh, the rest of the state just, you know, they think the Southeast Republicans are too moderate. And I... Keep saying, look, we can continue to fight amongst ourselves. We've got to remember who the real opponent is. I never say enemy. Democrats are not our enemy. But we have to remember who the real opponent is on Election Day. And um, that's the biggest challenge we face, that infighting. And we saw it in this primary just passed for judge. You know, we were forced to spend a lot of money, a lot of effort um, to support the endorsement. That's the job of the chairman. And the committee overwhelmingly endorsed. Um, but you spend a lot of energy and a lot of money, uh, money that should be spent on the general election. So it was a little. So do you see, I mean, because you've observed uh, this uh, for a while at the state level. Right. Of course, you were a county chairman, Chester mm -hmm. County uh, chairman of, of the party. Um, is, is this something that's unique to kind of the Trump dynamic in the Republican Party that, that you're seeing? Or do you think that that even existed before that you've always had sort of this civil war? And fight? I mean, I can maybe even think of. Uh, when Arlen Specter uh, right. and Pat Toomey, of right. course, that those were some primary races. Uh, so, do you think that this is just uh, the the latest iteration That's of exactly it? right? Yeah, it manifests itself in different ways. I can remember in Chester County in the '90s, the big issue was pro-life versus pro-choice, right? And that was across the state. Mm -hmm. So you got Tom Ridge, but then you got Rick Santorum, and you made a ticket. Um, and so, same thing in kind of Chester County. Now it and then it became the Tea Party. 
Yeah. Tea Party was angry. They didn't like anybody who was involved in politics a minute longer than they were. You know, you were establishment. <laughs> Even if you were a conservative, doctrinaire conservative like I am, um, very, you know, sort of center right to, to very conservative. They, um, now, it's, now it's a combination of things in PA. You, now you have this anti-establishment fervor, and you have overlaying that is the Trump, sort of the Trump loyalists who were mm-hmm. there earlier or thought they were there earlier than everybody else so that they, you know, if you weren't there as early as they were, you're a never-Trumper. And that really has to stop. I, I see widespread support for the president in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. There's only very small, very, very small pockets of anti-Trump in the Republican Party anywhere. I'd say we're as unified behind the president as we are in anything, and we just have to stop this infighting. Well, and I think that there's some interesting dynamics happening, of course, where Republican Party has long been the free trade party. Right. Uh, and this is where the president uh, differs from the party. Um, and that's a, that's a healthy disagreement, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean um, you have to be, uh, you become anti-Trump because you oppose a Correct. particular policy that, that he may be pushing. And I think that there's sort of a, a purity test uh, that, that uh, is occurring, which creating some of this uh, infighting, if you will, because li- like you, um, uh, I mean, I've seen it myself. I, I wasn't a Trumper, uh, certainly support the, the policies that this president has. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's far exceeded my expectations. I'm just being blunt about that. He's uh, overperformed Definitely. Uh, in so many ways. I mean, we see it in the economy. We see it in the judges. We see it in the policy agenda. Because, um, uh, of course, I have a, a history of where Arnold Schwarzenegger ran into difficult times as a conservative and then just went far left. Right. And uh, my, that was my concern about Trump. Fortunately, that... He, <laughs> I would argue that uh, his opposition has made him even more conservative yes. uh, in his policy agenda. Right. So uh, as you think about 2020, um, of course, you got to get through 2019, which is right. going to be, you know, a, a tough year. Uh, we've seen it in some of the special elections that have happened. Uh, lost a, a Senate seat out in the western part of, of the state. Um, judicial elections, something that the Democrats have been performing quite well on. Uh, over the last uh, couple of years, in oh, yeah. 17, 15, they took all three Supreme Court seats. Of course, we know what that has resulted in. Of course, the uh, judicial mandering right. uh, that took place where uh, they usurped the power of the legislature and had some Stanford prof uh, draw the lines. Mm-hmm. Um, how is this year going to be different? Well, how do you see Republicans winning these seats that the Democrats have been kind of owning over the past couple of years? Well, we turned the corner in 2017. We won for the Supreme Court. We won three out of four of all the appellate court races that were up that year. A concerted effort, a unified effort for the first time in a long time where you mm. had the legislature you know, and the, and the state committee folks all getting behind a candidate. This year in particular, we had that unity, but we also have what we haven't had in a while, which is the business community really understanding the importance of these races. And I know you know about this, Mac, because mm-hmm. you were one of the people that came to us understanding how important this was. And it, so we're going to see help that we haven't seen in quite a long time with the funding of these races. So the trial lawyers and the government unions will, will pour a lot of money into these races. They understand yep. very well how important it is, and they have now a strangle lock on the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. And I, in my estimation, um, the judges that are now, are they're, it's probably the most political court we've ever had in a state that's known to have very political justices. Mm-hmm. The business community understands this. They understand the importance. Superior Court is uh, a place where it's a uh, proving ground for the next generation of Supreme Court candidates, but it's also a place where a lot of important decisions get made. And um, uh, 
having that partnership with the business community this year is going to help us make sure we can get on TV, get our message out. Well, it's interesting. The Democrats uh, have chosen two candidates. One uh, is the uh, brother of a former Supreme Court justice who right. resigned uh, as part of, uh, I guess we called it Porngate, uh, right. where pornographic emails were being sent around. Uh, and interestingly, um, so Dan McCaffrey, who is the brother of Seamus McCaffrey, the uh, former Supreme Court justice, uh, is running for uh, one of those two spots. And uh, then you have, uh, of course, from the Philadelphia area, and then you have a oh, Western, yeah, yeah a Western um, PA candidate, Amanda Green Hawkins, who uh, interestingly was not recommended That's by right. the Pennsylvania Bar Association. Um, and I think uh, currently is employed as a labor counsel for the United Steel Workers, uh, has. Auditor General Eugene De Pasquale as uh, the finance chair, right. um, uh, and uh, in, I don't know of uh, what kind of uh, experience necessarily she would be bringing to the court, but she has declared herself to be the steel workers candidate. That's right. um, so apparently, going there to represent their issues uh, in the court, um, assess the Democratic candidates. I mean, is this a, a dream ticket for Republicans to run against? Well. Look, running up someone out of Philadelphia uh, in these off years is always tough yeah. because they, they, they can turn out vote. The good news there is they don't have much of reason to turn out vote in Philadelphia. The mayor's race is seen as a foregone conclusion. Mm -hmm. Even the council races, uh, by and large, were taken care of in the primary, although we do have some uh, interesting good candidates there from the Republican side. So the question is whether the Philadelphia machine, which may be hurting by the problems that John Doherty has there with the, the indictment, you know, whether they can do their magic and turn out their vote for, for McCaffrey. Now, the, the Western Pennsylvania candidate, I don't like to say our, our opponent's names, but who you just mentioned, um, <laughs> they, uh, you know, she's got some issues, and we're going to talk about those issues as we get closer to the campaign. It, she's got an interesting background, and she's not recommended by the bar, and uh, not someone you would typically put on the bench. And you hit the nail on the head when you talked about, you know, these Democrat judges. They're special interest judges. Yes. They're either there for the unions uh, or they're there for, you know, you know, the trial lawyers, and that's the message we need to get out. Um, it's about, you know, keeping the, the spigot open in Harrisburg and keeping the, uh, the, the judgments big for the trial lawyers, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. that's... Well, and I think we've seen uh, the direction that uh, the courts are, are wanting to go, at least the Supreme Court, as they were trying to uh, change up the venue shopping to really allow for uh, those jackpot uh, lottery right. uh, um, awards to occur again in, in Philly, which we reversed that a number of years mm -hmm. ago. Um, so I think they've signaled uh, what the special interests are hoping to get uh, uh, from these courts. But, uh, of course, the Democrats are, are the, the folks you're trying to beat, but you have a pretty good slate, I'd say. From what I've heard from folks, so one of the best slates of candidates running for the Republicans right. with Judge Christy Lee Peck, uh, a sitting common pleas judge in Cumberland County, and uh, Deputy District Attorney uh, Megan King from Chester County. Um, both of them have been on the uh, as prosecutors, uh, right. but um, Christy Lee sitting on the bench, I think, for eight years uh, at, eight at years. this point. Um, but talk about the, the slate that the Republicans are running and, and what you think are going to be their advantages and why voters are going to, you know, pull the lever for Republicans in what has been a pretty hostile uh, election year so far. And we think 2020 is going to be Yeah, 2020 is going to be a well. barn burner. Yeah. That's right. Um, but yes, uh, we have two great, uh, hardworking, experienced candidates, Judge Christy Lee Peck, uh, Cumberland County, 
She's um, highly recommended by the Bar Association. The Bar Association, not the end-all, be-all, but that's important. And um, It's a soundbite that gets into the yeah, ads, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and look, they if somebody's not qualified for the bench, they're going to tell you. And yeah. they did in the case of, you know, the Pittsburgh. AGH, we'll call yeah, it. AGH, so <laughs> Green Hawkins. Um, she's not qualified. Uh, but yet our, our candidate, Judge Peck, highly qualified, not just a judge, but she's prosecuted cases, uh, uh, child abuse cases, and uh, really a wonderful candidate, hardworking as could mm-hmm. be. I mean, they've gotten, she and, and Megan King have gotten all over the state. And uh, then Megan King here from Chester County, which is an important county because it's increasingly become a swing county, used to be solid Republican. She'll be able to get suburban women, I think, better than most candidates could. And she's also a prosecutor, elder abuse cases and child abuse cases, uh, head up the child abuse unit. Worked in both Lancaster and in Chester County, DA. So two great candidates. Pitt grad. She's kind of covered the, yeah, the, yeah. Whole, the whole state. That's right. She's yeah. got family in Western Pennsylvania. Yeah. So she's got both sides of the state. That's right. So uh, as you look at what happened in 2018, we absolutely had a blue wave mm-hmm. uh, hit our shores. Uh, but Pennsylvania fared much better than many other states that saw the blue wave hit, uh, where you saw Republicans go into super minority status. Uh, You see what's going on in Illinois. That isn't a whole lot different politically Mm -hmm. than Pennsylvania. You've got your rural area and your big city. uh, But my goodness, they are now looking at uh, going to a progressive income tax. Uh, They are doing all sorts of things. It it absolutely is. Um, But Pennsylvania has been able to overcome a lot of that, but it's going to be a tough year. Um, how do you think Republicans can pull off uh, victories in November of 2019 and then going into where Pennsylvania is the keystone state? I mean, we're seeing that the, the left um, is saying they are going to spend tens of millions of dollars in Pennsylvania because they know they can't get the White House without uh, the Commonwealth. And so uh, What's, what gives you hope uh, and, you know, gets you up every day of how you're how we pull this off? Well, I should say before we move on to 2020, 2019 yeah. also has some commissioner races. That yes, are very important. quite a so bit. Some courthouses are up in the West. We can we can flip some in the East. They Democrats think they're going to flip some 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 powerhouse Republican uh, courthouses in Chester County, Delaware and Bucks. Mm-hmm. But we could flip some in Washington and, um, and Westmoreland. And other counties out west, uh, and maybe even in the northeast. So those are important. People have to remember the importance of county commissioners. So um, the money that's coming in from the left is just amazing. I, yeah, I from Soros, Obama, Holder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. any number of billionaires, plus they have a platform which allows people to send in $5 for a candidate if they like them. The Republican Party is doing that kind of thing, too. At the national level, we are far outraising the DNC in any given month mm. to the tune of four, five, six to one. And uh, we've got, uh, I think, 30 or $40 million on hand, all being invested into data and an unprecedented ground operation in Pennsylvania. Uh, we're going to have dozens of staff all around the state. And typically what happens is the presidential campaign has a staff and they have offices and the RNC has staff and has office. A lot of times it's duplicative. It's all under one organization called Trump Victory. Uh, Trump Victory is going to, we're already in the process of hiring the staff around the state. And what their job primarily is to do is to recruit volunteers, get everybody trained on our, our mobile app. And our mobile app is a, feeds into our $250 million investment in data. And we've got the most sophisticated um, database in the country, political mm-hmm. database in the country. And any Republican can have access to it. You need to contact the state party. If you're running for office, we give you access to it. It allows you to micro-target. It allows you to mine volunteers. But it also is a very powerful tool of what messaging and working is working, what's not working. So we're very excited about 
combination of our data and our field team, which will be so, bigger than the Democrats. So team. one of the advantages I certainly saw for um, uh, President Obama in 2012 was that obviously he was running again. He didn't have a primary. He was able to begin to deploy resources, right. build out that infrastructure. Uh, with, I don't know, uh, 84 different Democratic candidates running for president. They can't do any of that, right? I mean, so other than the state party maybe beginning to build some of that. No, I don't uh, think that's I happening would, yet. On okay, side. So, so I think that Republicans should have an advantage. They know who their candidate is. They know what they're going to have to do in order to win. Uh, advantage Republican, I would say, uh, going you know, given the, the 2016 election and knowing this is the battleground state. I mean, we will I, be starting in earnest this summer on that plan I just told you about. Mm -hmm. um, they're going to be fighting in a costly um, and uh, divisive primary. Look what they're doing to Joe Biden. Mm -hmm. And um, they're going to keep attacking Joe Biden. Um, Joe Biden's going to have to move further and further to the left to get through this primary. Assuming he can get through this primary. We're seeing it happen, right? Right, right. So already, he already said he wasn't going to do it, but he's already grabbed onto the New Green Deal, which is a uh, an abomination, yeah. no pun yeah. intended. Ninety-four trillion dollars in new taxes, and you know we all know they want to regulate everything from your home to airline travel to the uh, flatulation of cows. So, <laughs> and we've got a few of those in Pennsylvania. So. Yes, we've got many of those in Pennsylvania. Many, many flatulating cows. So, so uh, what's your? Do you have a candidate you would love to uh, be running against? Or I, I, to me, there's you could kind of have a pick of the litter here. It's an abundance of riches. <laughs> Take them all. I mean. Uh, um, you know, we'll take Kamala Harris and her record and the thing she stands for. And any, every one of these has glommed on to New Green Deal. They will glommed on to socialism one way or the other. They all want very, very high taxes. But there, you know, look at the, the massive power you would have to give to the United States government in order to implement that New Green Deal. Forget about what it would cost. Yeah, yeah. You know, the quadrupling of the federal budget. But vast powers of eminent domain. Um, being able to regulate the 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 um, energy industry and energy is how we run our economy, and and Pennsylvania voters know that better than most states. Um, the they would eventually become a super the federal government a super zoning board, uh, telling you what you, how your house needs to be right, wired and right. materials need to be in it, no, along the lines of nothing that we've ever seen. Yeah, um, so you know we'll have the debate with any of those. I'll call them wackos because they're really wacky on the left. Or if we want to have it with Joe Biden, if he can manage to come through as just center left and not an extremist, we'll we'll relitigate the Obama years, you know, the Iran deal and um, and stagnant growth and stagnant wage growth and mm -hmm. unemployment and um, all the other things that we know happened in the Obama years, including Obamacare, which remains very unpopular when you poll it. So we'll so, have that debate. So the Democrats are kind of having their own little uh, civil war, if you will, of uh, whether they're going to be the party of socialism or, or socialism. I think that's been decided. Right? Yeah, I think they I they don't think there's going to yeah. be any war in that score. You saw the California Democratic Party convention this weekend. The one guy got up there and said, we need to be a party of moderation. We need to be he got booed. Got booed yes. That is not. And I know it's California, <laughs> but that's the, you know, and you see what's happening around the state. Just right here in Chester County, there's a county commissioner, Kathy Cazone, a Democrat, who's served great. I mean, she has served with distinction. You know, they threw her out of office in the primary. Mm. She wasn't liberal enough for Chester County. Mm. And, you know, they put in, you know, a young young guy who's a mayor of Downingtown who hasn't accomplished anything, but he's, you know, more progressive for their taste. And that's, they're going to keep doing that around the country. Their primaries force them far to the left. Remember, in special elections, you tend to get a more moderate yes. candidate. Yes, you get the Connor Lamb, you get the yeah. Pam Iovinos. Yes, yes. Right. You're not going to get Central casting candidates when they can pick but uh, the, the base of the Democratic Party has uh, just embraced 
socialism. In some ways, I don't think they fully understand what they're saying. They, right. they think it's kind of social justice, but not really the idea of government control of <laughs> these Donald things. Trump they don't like that. gets the opportunity to stand up there in a debate with one of these folks and really have them explain what they really mean, mm-hmm. that's going to be a problem for mm-hmm. them. I think a lot of people, even suburban voters who've been leaving the Republican Party, they're going to say, I don't want 90% marginal tax rates. I don't want, I don't want abortion up until the moment of conception. Yeah. And, and by the way, in the polling is most Americans, even if you're pro-choice, like 60, 65% don't want yeah. it past the first trimester. Yeah. So let's, you know, they always want to talk about the, you know, extreme outliers. Too, yeah, yeah, right. Well, we could talk about what they're, what, what yeah. they really propose yeah. and uh, we shouldn't run away from those issues. Well, uh, certainly they've uh, given plenty of fodder. Uh, but uh, what is the message that you think uh, Republicans need to be delivering and maybe this is tying back into the, right. your Jack Kemp. Well, you know, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know me. What, what, what is it that is going to sell in the sense that, look, this is the hope for America. This is the America that has been the freest, the most prosperous, most generous country the world has ever known. We need America. I mean, when you look at us in the context of world history, we are something that is special and something worth fighting for. Uh, and clearly, I think that uh, the Democratic message is, you know, it's not all that special. We need Correct. to we need to do what the you know the rest of the world that's struggling uh, is going. Um, how how do Republicans sell their message of that uniqueness, that hope, um, and I think the reality that uh, free markets, capitalism, uh, personal responsibility, those things have provided us. Right. So, look, the left has done a great job in teaching our children that America is not such a great place, hmm. right? And look, we've, like anybody, we're like, like any person, the United States of America has flaws. And, but they focus entirely on our, on our flaws. And I've seen it in my children's textbooks, which American history textbooks, which mm-hmm. are a disgrace, um, in teaching uh, about the founding and how bad the founders are and how bad the Industrial Revolution was and what we did to the Indians. And look, that's, that's a perspective that needs to be taught, but not in its entirety. Like, what about the sacrifices that American soldiers made in World War II? What about what the Industrial Revolution has done, done to increase the standard of living? And capitalism has brought $800 million out of extreme poverty across yeah. the world in the last 20 years. So yeah. why don't we talk about those things? So it's going to be hard to overcome that message with younger voters. But I think explaining to younger voters exactly what they're going to get, you know, that, you know, that Steve Jobs would not be able to have created this Apple iPhone that I'm holding under what the Democrats right. are proposing. You just wouldn't be able to do it. Right. You wouldn't have access to capital, and the capital markets would be failing, and, and the government would be controlling everything. Well, government so, would say, you you just, you really don't need that, Val. Right, right. They're <laughs> going to tell us. Necessary. Yeah, that's right. So we need to get that message out. The other thing I need, think we need to do, and this has been a failure of the Republican Party for as long as I've been in the Republican Party, and, there, and there's one man who can fix this, and that's the president. So we need to go into the inner cities. It's... And if you haven't been into North Philadelphia, and you haven't been into you know what's going on in Detroit in those Just, neighborhoods, you don't really know. And I think suburban voters don't know because they go to Center yeah. City and they come home, right? Yeah. They go to downtown Pittsburgh and they come home. Go into those neighborhoods and see what Democratic Party has wrought in those neighborhoods. See what Larry Krasner, the DA of Philadelphia, mm. who is no mm. longer prosecuting theft, prostitution and other low-level crimes. That's not hyperbole. That no, is absolute that's truth. That's exactly yes, what it, yes. we now call him, let him go, Larry. Mm. He lets, mm. Let him go. And ask Bill McSwain, the U.S. attorney, he'll mm-hmm. tell you. Even if you ask Josh Shapiro, Josh Shapiro, the, the Democrat attorney general, mm-hmm. tell, to disgrace what's going on in Philadelphia. Donald Trump can go into Philadelphia 
He could stand with whatever black pastors he can get to stand with, whatever charter school supporters he can get to yep. stand with, many of, whom are, many of whom are people of color, and come out of that meeting and say, we just had a meeting, we agree on a lot of things, things we need to do to fix cities like Philadelphia. The Democratic Party has left you here calling Republicans racist for years, and where has it gotten yeah. you? Two-thirds of your kids can't read and write at, yeah. at basic level, half won't graduate, crime is rampant on your streets, your DA is a disgrace. You're prisoners in your own homes a lot of times. Drug use is rampant on your streets. Now I want to give needles away to people to shoot heroin in your neighborhood. People aren't even from your neighborhood. Give us a chance. I've done more in three years, Donald Trump should say, for the African-American community than Barack Obama did in eight. And mm-hmm. he should go down the list. You know, criminal justice reform, which we did on a bipartisan basis, which you couldn't find the mainstream media talk about. Right. But that was a great accomplishment. Yep. Uh, opportunity zones, which are going to funnel tens of billions of dollars into your neighborhoods. The lowest unemployment ever in Latino and African-American communities. Women unemployment's up. Job growth is up. And charter schools. Charter schools is the issue. 40,000 yeah. kids waiting to get into charter schools in Philadelphia. But you wouldn't schools. know it with you the media. Attack. Yeah. So <laughs> Donald Trump could go. And when he does it, he, no matter what he says, no matter how much the media attack, they're going to have to cover that message. Yeah. And we're not going to win Philly. We can go to some wards got 3 and 4% for Donald Trump. They can go from 3 to percent. To 9% or 12%, you can get 31% Latino to go up to 38, 39. You win Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. you have a transformation in electoral politics in, in the United States. It puts the fear of God into Democrats. They'll call us racist when we go. Let them call us racist. Let them protest. Donald Trump needs to go into Philadelphia and Detroit and Atlanta and have that conversation. Well, we have the proof, thankfully, that those things work and they do lift uh, people up, uh, give them opportunity, the chance right. uh, to pursue the American dream. Right now, uh, the, the solution that the Democrats offer is more of the same, right? I mean, you have complete control of Philadelphia, but it, what has changed? Uh, it's only gotten worse. And, and to me, this is the opportunity. Yes. Uh, if Republicans seize it, um, and not playing defense, but, but going on offense. Look, and I say this to my you know, Republican friends around the state, and they say, oh, we're never, they're never going to listen to us. It's never going to work. But I can tell you, there's no more vote to get out of Western Pennsylvania and, and, and the T. Yeah than we got in 2016 for Donald Trump. There's, you can't do it. You got 73% of the vote, 80% in some counties. You know, there's no, not much more juice to squeeze there. And mm-hmm. the suburbs are a tough place for us to do business right now, but the city is ripe for the picking and the electoral college and the way our elections work, we don't feel we need to go into the cities on the coasts, but somebody's gotta go in and, and this is the guy to do it. He's in a unique position to do it. Well, uh, Val DiGiorgio, chairman of the Republican Party of Pennsylvania, uh, thanks for coming on Brews and Views. Thank you. Uh, I wish you well. Wish you all the luck in 19 and 20. Going to be uh, quite uh, the battles ahead. Thanks. Thanks for having me. You bet. You've been listening to Brews and Views, a production of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. Find us on Facebook at Commonwealth Partners and follow Matt Briette at M-A-T-T-B-R-O-U-I-L-L-E-T-T-E.